through a major surge and this surge is something that something that is much bigger than what we have ever seen before we are seeing a lot of patients with covid who are extremely sick and they are getting sick very quickly and very rapidly these are young otherwise healthy patients to give an example we have several patients in their 20s who are who never had any medical problems and have never seen a doctor are now in the intensive care unit on ventilator being paralyzed and we are still struggling to keep their oxygen levels up so so this this is this is significant we are seeing it every day and we are seeing young people dying one thing i will tell you is most patients that we are seeing in the hospital have not had their vaccine and and none i will tell you in the intensive care unit have had their vaccine so um we just just based on that fact it's clear it's obvious that the vaccines are working people who have vaccines are not getting hospitalized and they are even even if they are getting covid they are getting covid at a much milder the, the form of illness is much mild and they are able to stay out of the hospital and stay at home get vaccinated i that's that's just short two words vaccines work vaccines will prevent you from getting hospitalized do it for yourself do it for your family do it for your loved ones you own it to them please get vaccinated Good night, Cayman Islands. I'm Kevin Waltler, and I'll be hosting tonight's CMR COVID Spotlight. Sandra is in the background, and she'll pop on here and there as you start to ask your questions. I'm sure you have a lot of questions. And so we do have an expert, Dr. Klotman, on. He is the president and CEO of Baylor College of Medicine. And uh, we're going to speak to him in just a little bit. But right before we get into that, I just want to take a moment to ask you to please share um, this link, uh, either if you're watching on Facebook or on YouTube with everyone you know, WhatsApp them as well, let them know that we are live now. So we don't want people to miss out on the valuable information that will be shared on the show. And um, again, if you have any questions, you'll be able to ask them whether you type it on Facebook or YouTube, or of course you could actually call in. Um, we'll be showing you a link or sharing a link with you that you could tap on. And um, if you have a question directly for Dr. Klotman, you'll be able to, to ask it directly. So um, as people are starting to join, let's take a look at the current or the latest data for the Cayman Islands. We had nine new cases reported today. Five of them were unvaccinated individuals and four of them were fully vaccinated or vaccinated. They didn't specify whether they're fully vaccinated or not, but four vaccinated cases. And so those um, five of them were community positives and four of them were in Chavillers. Now, I will tell you that one of the cases um, that was reported actually added a number, another individual in our hospital and that happened to be a child. Um, yesterday, that child was admitted to the Cayman Islands Hospital, but we are told that that child is doing better today. So 
we all need to keep that child in our prayers to make sure that uh, we, we wish the family the very best and also that that child has a, a quick recovery. Um, we do know that our children, especially those who are not yet eligible for the vaccine, is um, a lot more vulnerable because there, there's nothing to really offer that added protection. And so we really encourage everyone to get vaccinated who is eligible and do our best to protect everyone, and especially our children and our elderly folks. Um, so the active cases are currently 132 um, active cases. And of those active cases, 62 of them um, have symptoms and 70 of them don't have any. Um, and we remain at uh, on two uh, deaths linked to COVID-19. And for our vaccine, we continue to get more and more people vaccinated, but we're not there yet. And Dr. Klopman could probably tell us um, in a bit exactly um, where we need to be to be in a much better position. We have 78% of the population having at least one dose and 74% of the population um, completing the entire series. So, you know, we'll go ahead and bring on Dr. Klotman. Dr. Klotman, welcome to the CMR COVID Spotlight and taking the time uh, to be on tonight. Well, I'm happy to be here. Thank you for inviting me. All right. So, Dr. Klotman, please tell us a little bit about yourself. I know we could see your bio online and stuff, but, you know, it's sometimes better to come from the, the horse's mouth directly. So tell us. Tell us about some of your accomplishments, who you are, and uh, how do you get? How did you get in the position you're in now? Well, so I'm a president and CEO of the Baylor College of Medicine, and um, I have a background as a medical researcher. I spent, um, I trained at Duke University. Uh, I, I was at the NIH as an intramural laboratory scientist in molecular virology, uh, and eventually I became a chair of medicine in Mount Sinai in New York, and then took the job here. So. Uh, we're uh, we're one of the we're the only private medical school in the Southwest United States. We're a large entity. We have about twelve thousand five hundred employees, thirty five hundred physicians, eight affiliated hospitals. We train around seven hundred physicians in total, one hundred eighty six a year. Uh, so we we contribute a lot. Um, our, we're a huge research enterprise, the largest in the Southwest, um, with over six hundred fifty million dollars in research expenditures. Our faculty members are prominent. You may have seen Peter Hotez. He's developed a vaccine that's uh, currently being licensed in India and developed in India. Our vaccine treatment unit has been involved with uh, testing flu vaccine every year and has been involved with uh, both the testing and uh, uh, follow-up of, uh, of COVID-19. Our faculty have been PIs of the Moderna trial, of the Remdesivir trial. Uh, we've done the testing for our city and county. Uh, we started a wastewater program. So we've been very much engaged in uh, the COVID epidemic in Texas, in particular, in our Houston community. Well, definitely, you've been involved in a, in a whole lot. So, Dr. Klotman, one of the things that some may be asking is, how in the world did we get where we got to? I mean, how did this pandemic happen? Well, so, you know, it, it, this is the worst uh, pandemic since uh, the Spanish flu in 1918. Um, uh, it's not really, it's, it really didn't originate in Spain. It was only that Spain was reporting on it. It was the middle of World War One. It actually probably started uh, somewhere. It was probably propagated in the United States first. But we have, we've had pandemics before. Uh, we've had SARS, MERS, HIV. Uh, as we, um, you know, encroach upon... Uh, 
the the animal kingdom you know as a man expands its reach we have a lot of opportunities to interface with uh, other animal species and uh whether you know there's a lot of controversy around covid 19 but most of these coronaviruses live in horseshoe bats uh, these is as people who live around horseshoe bat caves about five or six percent of them are positive and have antibodies to those uh, viruses even though it doesn't propagate in man we're constantly being exposed uh, to these kinds of viruses because we live very close by. And whether it's a direct infection from an animal host, like in swine, the swine flu went directly from pigs to humans, or if there's intermediate species, like uh, with SARS that was intermediate with uh, cats and MERS, which was intermediate host, was dromedaries, camels. And we don't know the exact intermediate host yet for COVID-19, but we suspect it might be uh, in pangolins because part of the protein, part of the virus is very much connected to, um, uh, uh, the, related to the pangolin. And as you can see, if you look at the, the tremendous implication it's had, uh, COVID-19 now has, we've had more deaths in the United States from COVID-19 than AIDS or all of the wars combined. And so, I mean, it has really been dramatic and it's because we had a, a novel virus, a completely new virus that humans hadn't been exposed to, uh, and in a susceptible uh, population, and especially with respiratory transmission, it's been very easy to spread throughout the world. Um, and it's been, you know, it's had devastating effects. We, we, we're, you know, there are millions of people who've died all over, you know, all over the world. From this. So we weren't very, we weren't very well prepared. I think uh, one of the things in the that we showed that in, in particular in the United States, but all over uh, Europe, our public health uh, infrastructure wasn't really prepared to deal with a pandemic like this. Uh, and it's been very difficult for the West to, to manage this. Some, some countries have done better than others, uh, uh, but the United States has been, frankly, it's been one of the worst in managing uh, this pandemic. Yeah, I, I popped up a slide that you shared with me when we were, were talking and um, I just was looking it over and I know you kind of touched on it where, um, you know, a lot of deaths compared to, you know, looking at 9-11 terrorist attacks straight up through the, the various world wars and again, the 1918 flu. It's pretty significant, isn't it? it it's been the worst, you know, event really for um, for our country and for mankind so far. I mean, it should it should get everyone excited about trying to prepare for the next one because we will. This is not going to be the last pandemic we have. I mean, we've been having these, whether it's you know HIV, uh, H1N1, SARS, swine flu, SARS, MERS. We we keep having this. You know, uh, uh, there's a lot of infectious diseases that are co constantly entering. And so the question is, are we, you know, how do we prepare our infrastructure to manage it better than what we've done so far? You know, one of the things, um, one of the shows I watched kind of before um, the pandemic started to actually come to America, I don't think we even had um, a case at that time, but, you know, there was a lot of talks about it. There was a, a show that came out on um, Netflix, I believe. I'm not sure if you saw it, but it's, it was called Pandemic, and it was kind of focused yeah. on in, on influenza, on the flu. And... Um, I remember they were saying, you know, oh, we're going to be prepared. The things kind of being prepared for the next pandemic. And then, yeah. you know, a lot of the government 
workers and, and, and different spokespeople were saying, hey, we're going to be just okay. We're, it's going to right. come and go. And we're well, still it's funny. Uh, more than the film, uh, Johns Hopkins University sponsored a tabletop exercise about five years before this pandemic. And they said, okay, what will be the next pandemic? You know, let's, let's figure out so we can begin to prepare. Because uh, Johns Hopkins has a really good public health uh, school. And it was sponsored by the public health school. And so they figured, well, what's the most likely thing? So it's probably going to emerge out of Asia. You know, that's where most of these uh, respiratory viruses emerge. Probably going to be South Asia. It's probably going to be a coronavirus. We don't know which one. And they, they, they did a whole uh, projection of what would happen and pretty much modeled what has happened and made a recommendation. I think the Obama administration started a, a, a pandemic uh, group you know, to try and start formulating policy around what we would do. That was sort of ignored. And we have never really invested in the public health infrastructure that we need. And you could see the early cases, uh, had we been able to contain this, um, it would have been great, but we didn't really have good contact tracing available. We weren't isolating people. And in fact, it was sort of already in New York and Seattle well before public health measures could really, you know, uh, contain it. And, and as a result, we ended up with policies like shutting down everything, you know, that there's very little, it's a blunt instrument when you can't contact trace and isolate people. All you can do is close businesses so people can't see each other. You know, it's really, it's, uh, look what they did in China. I mean, it's a, you know, it's, they could do that in China because that's the way they are, but they you know, put every, locked everybody up for a month. That That's not something that would ever happen in our culture, but you know, it was effective way to keep people apart so that the uh, pandemic or the, at least their local epidemic would would get, get lesser. Yeah, that's one of the things um, I know that you, you have to balance. OK, what you need to do for public health to, yes. to protect public health. But you also have to kind of just balance that with reality and, and, and OK, what's that right balance? And, and so that's where I guess the, the politicians have to decide what that right balance is. And there's some very different views on, on how to handle it. We know what we need to do to stop the virus from spreading, but that also doesn't work with human behavior. Well, you know, it's funny, the public health was the, was really in, in brought into being to, do, to manage this. And so you don't have the right, if you have tuberculosis, you don't have the right to walk around free. We already said, you know, we, you can be isolated, you can be taken, the authorities can grab you and isolate you. Uh, and somehow uh, with COVID, it became, a, you know, a political issue of, you know, it's my, I have the right to, to, you know, to do whatever I want to do, you know, to not wear a mask, to be vaccinated or not to get vaccinated. Well, you know, that's just, that's not good public health. And there are some things that you have to do. So for example, um, you know, you have the right to strap on a, you know, stick a dynamite on your chest and walk around your house, but you don't have the right to walk into a group of people and detonate it. Well, you have the right to not be vaccinated, sure, and, and stay at home. But the minute you start walking around and, and, and you're infected, you're actually a, bio, a little bit of a bioterrorist. You, you are out there infecting other people who don't want to be infected by you. So, so I do think we have not implemented the kinds of uh, programs that we could. Now, with a vaccine, I do think mandates are really important. I would like to see even more mandates. Um, I think a, a federal mandate that required vaccinations when you fly would go a long way in the United States. Most countries have done this already. 
you can't fly to Europe without being vaccinated, having proof of vaccination and showing a negative test now. Well, we should be doing that in the United States. If the states don't do it, then I think the federal government should actually step in and make uh, mandates that will increase the population that's vaccinated because we have to vaccinate our way out of this or we're just going to see a lot more deaths. I mean, people are going to, people who are not vaccinated are going to get infected and a percentage of those are going to have a real problem and some of them are going to die. Yeah, I know they do have some for at least international flights coming into the U.S. I believe that's already in place. Um, but interesting, if, if it expands a bit more to all travelers, if you want to get an airplane, you got to get vaccinated and other things like that. Um, it would be interesting to to, um, to see if that will be possible with all of the legal challenges that ends up happening. But, um, but yeah, I mean, this is where you have to really go to public health experts and, and get that advice. Yeah, I mean, if you did a federal mandate like that, you may not get reelected, but you probably bring an end to the pandemic. So it's like, you know, what's more important? We have mask mandates. You have to wear a mask on an airplane. You know, that, that it, even though states don't necessarily, some states have said you can't have a mandate, but because it's federally uh, regulated, you have to wear a mask on an airplane or you can't get on an airplane. So you could do, I mean, federal employees now have to be, have been mandated to be, vaccinated you could do the same unless of course without with medical and religious exemptions but you could easily mandate that you can't fly without being uh, vaccinated especially since going from state to state you have the opportunity to spread virus around the country to, to communities that don't want to be infected well i'm going to um, ask for sandra to come up because i know we've got some questions that i see starting to roll on in so sandra have you been looking them over what do we have Thank you so much, um, Kevin, and good evening to Dr. Klotman. We've got El Rey. Um, it's a very lengthy, I'm trying to decipher what the question is here, as it's quite lengthy, but it says, remind me, how do mRNA vaccines work? So let's start okay. there. All right. So um, the uh, mRNA is, uh, is a nucleic acid that uh, you start off with DNA, it, tra it gets transcribed to mRNA and then translated to a protein. And so, uh, in your if you if you give mRNA alone, it's rapidly degraded. If you know, so you can't just inject mRNA. So mRNA is it, the vaccines are used. They have a lipid kind of droplet that the RNA sits in, so it's able to get into cells. And it's like a read-only file. So if the RNA ends up in your in your cell, your cell machinery actually produces the protein. And in this case, it's the spike protein of the uh, uh, coronavirus. That spike protein is released and what happens because it's a foreign protein, your body recognizes it and develops an immune response. It's a lot more efficient and, and quicker to make this than actually traditional vaccines, which you try to manufacture the protein and inject the protein in people. So if you look at, and, and a lot of the current vaccines that are being used by other countries are just the protein. So you could manufacture the spike, you know, actually the proteins that make up the spike, give it to people, stimulate them. But the trouble with that, and the reason that has problems is in order to make the protein, you need a, 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 a sort of a machinery to make it. And we often do that in eggs or in insect cells. And because of that, people have immune responses to the some of the stuff that gets in uh, from the production process. With the mRNA vaccines, you don't have that. 
the RNA goes into your cell, you make it. It's not made by insect cells. It's not making it. It's not made by, you know, chicken and eggs. It's made by you. And so there's no reaction to that. And so you're making this pure protein and then you react to it. It's not, doesn't get into your DNA. It, it, it doesn't affect your DNA at all. It's, as I say, it's a read-only file. It can't get into you, uh, into your cells. Uh, and it makes the protein and you respond to it. So it's been, it was a, it's, it's kind of a breakthrough, but it's not new technology. This has been going on for decades. Uh, when I was in the NIH in 1990, we were working on uh, a gene therapy strategies that included RNA and DNA constructs. The real advancement came with the combination of the RNA with the lipid uh, vesicles that allow it to go in. The advantage of the RNA is you can, it's like a typewriter. You, we have instruments that can make, that can assemble the sequence of the RNA. So you can come up with a new sequence, you know, within days. And within 90 days, you can be constructing a whole new vaccine. So I think the one thing about this is that vaccine technology is going to change quite a bit. And you'll see a lot more of these RNA vaccines for other diseases as well. But people are going like, well, it's too new. Well, it's really not new. It's, 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 it's decades of experience doing this. It was just a, a combination of uh, the ability of, of, of to combine that with better vesicles to deliver it. And then the fact that the, you know, the government's all paid for it in advance. So it allowed the development, you know, to go more quickly. I do have a question okay. on following up on yeah. the MRNA um, technology, because I know there is, um, you know, a lot of folks who, saying i'm not getting vaccinated because um there's so much social media posts about some individual who claimed that he invented the mrna technology and says it shouldn't be used for, for covid what are your thoughts on that well there's so much misinformation on social media it's like unbelievable i, I you know the rna vaccine it's been the rna technology has been around for 30 years and there's not a person who invented it. there's a woman at BioNTech in Germany, who we used to be at Penn, who really focused her work on tr trying to create the vaccines uh, that today. She left there, went to BioNTech in Germany, and they there were three or four companies, including Moderna, that had been working on RNA technology for many, many years, for mostly for cancer immunotherapy. That was sort of the hope, was that we'd be able to give these vaccines against certain types of cancer. And then coronavirus popped up. So it's very easy to make a, a vaccine because it's, you just sort of create the RNA sequence. Machines make it. And, but the lipid vesicles really were the, the key. And they're remarkably safe. I mean, we've, we've vaccinated hundreds of millions of people, hundreds of millions. And, and there's very few problems relative to other vaccines. Uh, you know, there's been a little bit of uh, myocarditis, pericarditis that's not much worse than the coronavirus-induced myocarditis. Uh, the adenoviral vectors are different. The DNA vectors like the AstraZeneca vaccine is, a, is, is different. It's a, it's a viral vector that has a DNA element in it that has to go to RNA and then to uh, proteins. They've had a slightly, you know, they've had some complications with um, uh, clotting that's a little bit like heparin-induced uh, uh, platelet aggregation. But again, it's very small numbers. You know, there's been, you know, Guillain-Barre used to be a real problem. Some people uh, with flu vaccinations, we haven't really seen much of a signal with Guillain-Barre. Uh, so I don't, anybody who claims that these aren't, shouldn't be used, look at the numbers. Hundreds of millions of people. 
if you look at the deaths, the vast majority of deaths are an unvaccinated people. You know, you ran the thing. It, ICUs are filled with unvaccinated people. Now, the vaccines aren't perfect. So when people go, well, geez, we had, you know, I got vaccinated and I got sick. Well, you, you know, you get sick for a day or two is a lot different from being on a ventilator and dying in an ICU. So the vaccines have been incredibly effective. And if you look in the states where there's high vaccination rate, there's very low death rate. If you look in the states, there's low vaccination rate, very high death rate. So, I mean, there's there's so much data to support it. I, I can't believe that people turn to a single person post on social media and believe anything. I mean, think about the the the, the fiction around it causes infertility. There's I, I know normal human beings, smart people who said, well, I can't, my daughter's not getting vaccinated because it causes infertility. That was a blog that was started by a European soccer person who's, who, 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 you know, put this thing on a Pfizer you know, expose. It causes infertility. And the idea was Pfizer was trying, or these drug companies were trying to limit the, the population of the world. I mean, it, it was crazy. And, and yet that got a huge amount of play and people will say, oh, it causes infertility. Even the British, the British Fertility Society came out and said, doesn't do it. There's no reason why it would. There's no biologic evidence that would. And the worst thing is pregnancy is an, in, pregnant women are at enhanced risk from complications with COVID. And there have been deaths from pregnant women. It, it, there have been deaths of their babies. The key, get vaccinated. If you're pregnant, it's even more important because your baby's protected from, from passive immunity. It gets your antibodies and protects them. So these are the kinds of, you know, one of the downsides of social media has been great for connecting people, but it's been terrible for misinformation. On that note, too, I know a lot of people in, in the Cayman Islands, um, you know, they're, they're seeing these things on social media. Um, and then from their own experience, um, they're saying that they know a lot of people having adverse reactions. And so they're saying the government's hiding data. I know it's the same conversation here in the States where you look at the various numbers and so there's a lot of that going on. And so we do have, you know, a couple of cases where we're kind of keeping an eye, eye on to kind of figure out if it was really linked to the vaccine or not. Um, but but people are for sure, they say that it's because of the vaccine. And a little island like the Cayman Islands that has about 71,000 where there's a number of people saying it. How, how realistic is that? Well, so, you know, unfortunately, when you vaccinate millions of people, humans die, you know, from things unrelated to the vaccine or from COVID. And so when you're vaccinating people, like I hate to say my age, you know, 65, 70, 75, they may have a heart attack the next day. And so what the CDC does when all the, when it was emergency use authorization, there were 4,000 deaths, you know, after millions and tens, almost hundred million vaccines, there were 4,000 deaths. Every single one of those was reviewed by a panel of experts. So, you know, physicians who are able to understand what happened, look at the patient's medical history, look at the timing. Every single one of those was thought to be unrelated to the vaccine. In fact, there was no signal from mortality at all. But if, but I knew people said, well, I knew somebody got vaccinated and then died two days later. Well, I know people who died yesterday you know but that is unrelated to the vaccine so you have to rely on on the fact that you know there there's going to be background noise 
And that's why we have panels of experts looking at it. We did pick up the signal around myocarditis. You know, that was real. We did pick up the signal around the clotting abnormalities with the AstraZeneca. That was real. But there's been very, right now, the mortality data between if you're vaccinated and unvaccinated, it's vastly different. I mean, you're so much more protected uh, from an, a bad outcome if you're vaccinated. I just, I, I don't, I mean, it's it's too bad because people are reaching conclusions based on an N of one or I know one person, I, it's, it's anecdotal. We do have medical experts, you know. I would listen to a medical expert, you know, more than I would listen to my neighbor who said they knew somebody who died yesterday. I mean, that's that's unfortunately the problem is that somehow um, maybe it's our fault. Maybe the medical experts in the world, we're not doing a good job communicating. I accept that. But I mean, if you know, if, if I listen to expertise, I, I don't tell the guy when my air conditioner is not working, I don't tell him what's wrong. I listen to him. But, you know. Well, we're going to go back to our questions. Um, again, if everyone who, um, watching would just share it on their social media page, invite their friends on WhatsApp, let people know that we are live right now. And this is an opportunity to ask Dr. Klopman, an expert in this field on COVID, um, some questions. Please send your questions in, tell your friends to watch. But Sandra, over to you and let's see what we got going on in, in the chats. Okay, fantastic. So we've got Denver making a few comments. Um, and he says that, I think he's saying that he would encourage getting both vaccinations, both dosages, but he says it all depends on your body's immune system. How important does one's immune system play in, in the entire process, whether you're vaccinated or not? So it's a good point. Um, the, the thing about it is if you look at individuals who get a vaccine, they all have varying levels of immune response to the vaccine. Some have very high levels of antibodies, some are you know, middle and some are kind of low. Uh, and, it, and we've followed this for years and years with flu vaccine. We know that there's a sort of a bell-shaped curve you know, of, of responses to, the, to your immune response. Most of the time, if you look at who gets infected after vaccination, they're at the very, very tail end of the response. So they're there are people who really don't respond well. And those are the people who early on, you would even expect to get a booster. So people on immunosuppressants, people who have cancer or are taking steroids for whatever reason, you know, they're gonna have a blunted immune response. And so those people we've always said, you know, maybe they're the ones you measure antibodies and then you do a booster if they haven't got it. That said, it's not 100% predictive. So there are people like with flu, for example, who are very low responders, but are, don't get flu. And then there are people who have a little higher response and do get flu. So it's not a cutoff. We can't say, oh, this antibody level totally protects you. But most people get such high antibody levels that they're highly protective. One of the things that people forget is they're, they're, it's not just the antibodies that's circulating. You have these memory cells, memory T cells and memory B cells. The B cells make the immunoglobulins, the T cells, uh, fight the cells that, that are infected and they're required to help make the antibodies. There's plenty of evidence that after vaccination or after infection, you have memory T and B cells. And one of the reasons why it's pretty interesting that if you're vaccinated, people may get infected, you know, breakthrough infections, about 10 or 15% will get breakthrough. It's gotten more and more with Pfizer because it's waning antibody levels. 
but they don't go to, they don't get really, really terribly ill. So they're not getting hospitalized. They're not dying. That's probably because you have a head start. If you've been vaccinated, even if your antibodies are dropping out, your body has the memory is a head start. So if you're infected, you're already boosted and you, you respond very quickly. So it helps control the infection, um, you know, so you don't get really, really sick. I don't know if you've had this experience. I've had the experience of having the flu vaccination. Didn't wasn't a perfect match that year, and I got the flu, but it was a two-day illness. I got you know I had a fever and I didn't feel good for two days. If you don't, if you're not vaccinated, I've also gotten the flu when I'm not vaccinated. It's a ten-day to two-week illness, and they're in bad years. There are fifty thousand people in the United States who die from the flu. But if you're vaccinated, if even if you get a, a you know have a, a an infection, it's pretty mild. And that's been the that's been the the case. If you look in at the Israeli experience, they looked at the you know the seven million people that are you know, five million people that have been vaccinated. They looked at who got hospitalized and who had a bad outcome and died. It was all, of all the people who've been vaccinated. It was only about four or five hundred people in the entire country who'd been vaccinated and had a very serious outcome. And of those four hundred, they were almost all over the age of seventy-five or eighty. Men, 40% of them had an immune uh, problem, a disease that was uh, affected their immune responses. So the point is that if you get vaccinated, it is highly protective for you for serious illness and death. The other thing is it takes both vaccinations. So, you know, when people get one and say, well, I'm pretty, I'm pretty good. It's not pretty good. You need both vaccinations. And what we're finding out with the Pfizer vaccine, if you're over the age of 60 or if you're you know, if you're exposed to a lot of virus, you probably need a booster as well after about six or eight months. Okay, thank you. Um, Denver, hopefully that's uh, helpful. We have Paradise Thinkers who says that infecting the vaccinated whom are protected from the virus help us understand. So what's what's wrong with that statement? So so let me, I hope I can figure out what you're, what you're trying to ask. It, vaccinations are not a hundred percent protective. So, you know, they're, they're very good. 80, 85%. They're very protective against serious disease and death, but they're, they don't prevent in 80% or 90% of the time you are protected against an infection. But if you think about what happens when you get an injection, you develop an immune response and that immune response is mostly in your bloodstream. That doesn't mean that you can't get an infection in your nose and have some replication of the virus. So a lot of the people who get infected, and you were just saying the latest data with in Cayman Islands, half the people who they found were infected were asymptomatic. So they they have some replication going on in their you know in their nose or pharynx, but it's not affecting them because they have this immune response. They'll also get over the stuff in their nose and pharynx after you know ten days. Uh, so so. And then those people that are symptomatic, the symptoms are usually mild. It, there, it, it's true that in some rare individuals, they get very sick. And as I said, even in Israel, the, of the millions of people have been vaccinated, there have been 400 deaths. There are people who will, you know, even though they're vaccinated, don't get the greatest immune response and, and get sick and, and get serious. Though. But it's very, very small. I mean, the, the differences are huge. 97% of the emissions in our hospitals locally here are unvaccinated. And you, you were talking about the ICUs. You, had, you ran the, uh, the little video before. The ICUs, it's mostly unvaccinated people. Why would you want to take that risk? It just doesn't make any sense to me. 
it's it's really playing Russian roulette with with a with a very serious virus. And you know, we showed you the number of people who have died in this country. It's worse than any other thing we've experienced. Why would you even take the risk? So what, you mentioned Israel sometime, uh, a few times. And so I know there's a lot of news reports out there saying, well, Israel at first was, you know, they were on it and, and things were going well. And all of a sudden now you're hearing, well, Israel's needing all these extra boosters. Things aren't yeah. going so good. What, 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 what went wrong is the question. So, so that what went wrong is the same thing that went wrong with the United Kingdom. So... Uh, they were doing well. Uh, they they were actually, Israel was up to about 70% of their population vaccinated. UK was around 68, 69%. The UK declared on July 19th, Freedom Day. It was just, I mean, it's just stupid, you know, freedom from the virus. Well, having 69% of your population vaccinated isn't anywhere near what you need. You know, whether you need 85 or 90%. And so they've they relaxed all of their public health measures, got rid of masks, stopped having, you know, any restrictions on social distancing. And they they, they have continued to have um, a very high level of, of infections even now. Now, Israel did the same thing. They, they relaxed their social uh, uh, restrictions. They removed their mask orders. And they, they, they just didn't, they weren't very smart. So in contrast, Italy, right? Italy was the worst. You know, in Padua, Italy was where it was all overrun. They were doing terribly. There was a lot of criticism criticism of the prime minister because they hadn't really in, invoked uh, social restrictions very much. They in, they started the Green Pass, which is a, a passport. You can't travel. You can't enter uh, restaurants. You can't do anything unless you show that you've been vaccinated. They insist on mask wearing indoors, um, social distancing. And they have been doing great. So where you treat it like it's a viral infection, vaccinate the most people, have vaccine passports. So if you're not vaccinated, you can't come into a crowd. You wear masks, you know, if you in any kind of mixed group. They've done a very good job. UK is not. Israel was doing great. Not so much anymore. Sandra, let's take a look. I see more comments are coming on in. Let's make sure yeah. we're getting them. Absolutely. Um, so we have Nona who says, how likely is it that COVID was present all along in the Cayman Islands bubble for the past 18 months, and yet no one has been admitted to the hospital or died from it? So essentially what we had, Dr. Klotman, is we thought that we were COVID-free for about 18 months. And then um, recently some cases started to pop up of community transmission. The first individual that popped up in one of the um, in North Side it turns out that she was admitted to the hospital and they're testing people before they take them on any ward. Um, but she wasn't admitted for anything related to COVID. She has other comorbidities and issues. She's like in her seventies. So of course, upon testing her, they then discovered that her son had it. The guy next door, who's the son's friend also had it. And then that was about maybe a month ago. Since then we've had, Oh my gosh, I'm beginning to lose count here of countless community cases because now they've gone into all of the schools and they've started testing a tremendous amount of individuals in the schools. And a lot of the children actually have it as well. Mild symptoms. We had one child apparently that was hospitalized late yesterday. Um, so the question that um, Nona is asking is, is it possible or how likely is it 
that for the past 18 months, while we were kind of moving about relatively freely, not mask wearing and so on, because we thought we had no community transmission and we were just addressing it um, with travelers and having them quarantine, how likely is it that we probably had community transmission and just didn't know it? Well, I think it was probably pretty, pretty likely. And that's the way every country has been. So, um, you know, this virus almost, I mean, we almost certainly emerged from Asia, uh, probably through a recombinant event and then started spreading. We look in, if you look in the United States, we, we saw cases first in Seattle, very small number of cases. Then in New York, very small number of cases. We had some in Texas, very small number of cases. And we were having events, you know, we figured there was not a lot of community transmission. Well, then all of a sudden it, it blew up. And this is, this is what happens with uh, any, and with any epidemic or pandemic. If you have a completely susceptible population, you're fine, you're fine, you're fine. And then as you reach a threshold, it begins to, to spike up. So initially it chugs along at a very low level until enough people are infected and then it goes very high. So you just were lucky as an island community, you were sort of late to get it. I, my guess is it wasn't the entire 18 months, but you were probably COVID free until somebody, some traveler or some Cayman Island person went somewhere and got infected and brought it back. Once that, that happens in New Zealand, it happened in Australia, island communities are protected until they're not. And then once you're infected, you get this dynamic and the curve starts slow and then goes up and peaks. That, that's the way it works for every single country and every single epidemic. It starts slow until you get to this logarithmic phase where it goes very, very quickly. And eventually then people are infected and it begins to plateau. You have the opportunity to avoid a real big peak if you can get enough people vaccinated. And, and you have the advantage as an island community also to, to really be rigorous about if you can get you're already doing actually really well, 78%, 75% of the community vaccinated. If you can get the 90% vaccinated and you have rigorous uh, uh, restrictions about who can come in, that they must be, you know, uh, have a negative test and be vaccinated, you can probably open up your, you know, tourist industry again and be, you know, go almost back to normal. But you got to get up to like 90% of your population Mm -hmm. and make sure that you're not bringing in plus there was the of course the dynamic that the delta virus showed up in kind of july and august and it you know it's been a lot more infectious and so the original virus was not nearly it was like one third as infectious so you could have been chugging along with that until delta arrived and then delta is much more infectious and it's very difficult to control mm -hmm. thank you so much for that so rachel makes the point that um, she's kind of given just a little bit of background, how, you know, we were doing a lot of PCR testing, um, people were coming in. And then, of course, we didn't have this um, local case that we were aware of until August. So that's why the local public right. health authorities are saying that we didn't have community transmission. She makes the point um, that England is trying for herd immunity. It's a dangerous, ruthless strategy and people are getting infected more than any other European country. So do you know much about what's happening in the UK at the moment? Yeah, so so it's what I said. I mean, I, so the herd immunity, just letting everybody get infected and try to get to herd, herd immunity is a terrible idea. It, because it just says you're, gonna, you're willing to tolerate as many deaths as it will require to get there. And the idea is you want to 
prevent that by getting everybody vaccinated so they don't die. You know, so it, it, it and so and there were even, you know, people advocating that in the United States, which was insane. You know, let's just let everybody get infected. That that we'd have a close to a million deaths rather than 700,000 deaths. Um, so, you know, I think in, I think the England, UK made a terrible decision to declare victory, start this Freedom Day, July 19th, and, and they're paying the price. They have more cases, as you say, more cases than any European, other European country. And Italy is doing better than they are. So I, I think it's just bad policy. You know, at some point, it's just bad policy. I, you know, I think you're health department's done a good job. I, I think, you know, they've been on top of it better than most, most countries, better than the United States. Mm -hmm. um, but the United Kingdom is not doing a good job. I think it's, I think they've had bad policies. They're dangerous policies and I think they're suffering from it and they're going to be a lot more deaths. What else do we have, Sandra? I see some. So we've got on. Anthony who says vaccinated people are not protected from contracting the virus. So we hear this a lot as an argument for why bother getting vaccinated. Now we know that a study came out, um, Dr. Klotman, just last week, I think it was published on Thursday. It hadn't been peer reviewed as yet, but it did show that although the levels of um, the vaccine might be the same in both an unvaccinated and a vaccinated person, apparently a vaccinated person is 60 something percent less likely to pass that on. Um, and infect other people. So it seems that, I mean, obviously you can answer this, but the biggest protection is uh, staying out of the hospital, staying alive, but it also gives you some degree of protection when it comes to passing on the virus as well. What are your thoughts when people say to you, well, vaccinated people are not protected from contracting the virus? So, so uh, I mean, I, that's just incorrect. Th that is just incorrect. I mean, uh, if you look at uh, uh, the studies that were done, the randomized trials that were done, and and our experience with with millions of people, there was just a study in the Lancet, three and a half million people. It's incredibly effective at protecting against infection, and like tremendously against serious disease and death. That doesn't mean that you cannot contract the virus. Most people don't. But some do because you don't get 100% protection. But early on, it's about 88% for Pfizer, 93% for Moderna. Moderna right now, is, there's no evidence that their protection is waning as much with Pfizer. And this was a giant study published out of Kaiser Permanente in California, three and a half million people. The, the, uh, the protection began to wane. Uh, it went from 70% down to almost 45%, but 45% protected versus no protection. So that was some of the argument why, you know, the Pfizer vaccine requires a booster. Well, why would that be? Why are they different? The Moderna vaccine is threefold the dose. So it's 100 micrograms versus 30 micrograms uh, of RNA. And the, the, the diff, there's a spread difference. It's four weeks from Moderna versus three weeks. And it turns out the booster effect is better the farther out you are from the first dose. So they had a better spread for the booster effect and a bigger dose. And so the Pfizer booster is the same, same thing, 30 micrograms uh, after six or eight months. But it is incredibly effective against protecting. It's not 100%, but you have 0% protection 0% protection, you know, if you're not vaccinated, if, if you're not vaccinated and you're exposed to the Delta virus, you're going to get it. I mean, it, it, 
the, 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 there's a number we call the R number, the infection number. In, if you walk into a room of 10 people, a, a, one infected person walks into a room of 10 people uh, with the flu virus, you know, you'll infect one, one and a half, two, two people. With the original, uh, sorry, this original COVID-19 strain before Delta, it was two or three people. You walk into a room of 10 people, you'll infect two or three. With this, with the Delta, it's six or seven. So, you know, if there are 10 susceptible people and you're exposed to, to one infected person, you got a seven out of 10 chance of being infected. If you're vaccinated, you know, you're probably not going to be infected. You, you, you could be exposed. You'll have to be exposed, you know, eight out of 10 times, eight times before you even have a chance of being infected. The differences are huge. Get vaccinated. Yeah. <laughs> um, thank you so much. So, Anthony, hopefully you've learned um, why that is is um, misinformation. Gloria says 26,041 deaths and 2.4 um, million injuries following COVID shots in European Union's database as Slovenia suspends J&J shot after death of a 20-year-old student. This is according to someone who... Uh, she says, named Brian Shilhavy, editor of Health Impact News. So, so um, first of all, the the AstraZeneca, well, that's J and J. The there there was uh, several uh, deaths with the AstraZeneca vaccine reported in uh, in Europe. It was in Norway and Germany, um, and it was in, in younger people. This was there. There were over a million vaccinations and they had about 20 of these uh, uh, of these uh, syndromes where they had clotting and low platelets. And it turns out that it's very similar to heparin induced thrombotic thrombocytopenia. So uh, there's this anticoagulant heparin binds to a particular platelet activating factor and induces platelet aggregation. And the, and, and that domain, that little, binding site for heparin, turns out that the antibodies generated were right to that domain. And so in a rare individual, very rare, there could be, um, you know, this clotting abnormality because no one knew what it was. They didn't know it was an immune. They thought it was more like heparin induced. They, they anticoagulated these people because they had clots. Well, that's the absolute wrong thing to do until they figured out the mechanism. Now that we know the mechanism is an immune mechanism and the treatment of choice is to actually immune suppress those people rather than anticoagulate them. There haven't been any deaths since then, and there have been very few complications since then related to the either the adenovirus, uh, the J&J vaccine, or the AstraZeneca vaccine. I don't know, the 26,000, I don't know what they're talking about. That, that's just, uh, there's just not, it's not true. Now, one of the, one of the things about, um, uh, one of the things that's a problem is that we have incredibly good um, uh, reporting now. We can online, people can report uh, any complication they have. In the past, you had to have a phase four study where you had to, you would talk to a study coordinator and you'd say, you know, I have a headache. Is that related to my vaccination? They might, you know, do anything. Right now, you can report anything. And so there's a, a ton of things that are reported. But if you look at the, the uh, randomized trials where you had placebo and vaccination, there was no difference in the side effects of placebo injection versus the vaccine injection with the one exception that there was a little bit more 
uh, local reaction uh, with the mRNA vaccine. I don't even know what this is. Vitamin okay, C. Okay, so I brought up, um, I've just done a, sorry, I've just done a quick um, Google search on this guy that she's claiming, I guess, is supposed to be some sort of ex expert, Brian Shilhavy, editor of no Health idea Impact. Who he is. Yes, yeah. well, um, here's a um, healthfeedback.org uh, website who has reviewed articles from this Health Impact News. And there's a number of claims that he's made about vitamin C supplementation does not prevent viral. Uh, respiratory infections and so on. Um, so he's got claims here, the coronavirus pandemic can be dramatically slowed or stopped with the immediate widespread use of high dosages of vitamin C, he claims. That's yeah, that's, that's ridiculous. Yeah, the, yeah. it says uh, the verdict here is unsupported. Um, he claims that 4,250% increase in fetal deaths reported. That's, that's uh, ridiculous. In fact, that, that, that this is just insane. We shouldn't even be showing... There, yeah. there's, there's a, a giant study looking at complication rates uh, for pregnancy before and after vaccination. There's absolutely oh, yeah. no difference. So this yeah. is just somebody making stuff up. Right. But this this website has done a good job of good actually debunking. Yeah. yeah. So another claim he apparently made is that vitamin D is more effective than uh, right. a flu vaccine. Yeah, he also made one that formerly healthy people are suffering serious harm or even dying from taking the flu shot. That's dating back to 2019. So he's been debunked even before COVID. So okay. folks, this is this is why um, you want to ensure that you're getting your information from reliable sources. I've placed this link um, there in the um, in the the chat area. And again, this health impact news is apparently some sort of. Um, wannabe publication it looks like it's potentially out of the netherlands so um i don't i'm not quite sure why people go out of their way to to receive misinformation <laughs> explain that to me so you know there's an interesting study i was looking at misinformation <clears throat> yes. and um it if um if you get the same misinformation multiple times it's more effective than getting the correct information once or twice so you know this is the problem is people keep getting uh, multiple things of, you know, it causes this problem in pregnancy or causes the infertility or causes this. And it, this just keeps circulating. They'll hear it nine or 10 times. And then you get, you hear me once. <laughs> it's like, oh, I heard it 10 times. And there's this guy, you know, it, it's very hard mm -hmm. to compete with the, the constant repeating of misinformation, that which is yes. a real problem. Yeah, it is. Um, and that's one of the reasons why, of course, we are, um, you know, this, presenting this, this form. Yeah. yeah, we want to bring on the experts, you know, and not just one expert, as you're always going to see, we're bringing on different people from all over. Um, exactly. Sure That's, you know, we're, we're asking a lot of the same questions. We're, we're, we're bringing on epidemiologists, we're bringing on virologists, we're bringing on public health experts, we're bringing on those who are, are on the front line, like the nurses and the doctors who actually are treating patients, not reading it in a journal. Mm -hmm. You know, we want to make sure that we, um, or bringing on individuals who really know what they're talking about and exactly and and here's here's an interesting term that is something i think we should all become familiar with um these pseudoscience publications such as health impact news network um is now being called a misinformation super spreaders <laughs> so there you have it um kind of like what the good doctor was just saying um, Rachel says, do fading antibodies six months after the jab tell the whole story? Are there other elements of the immune system that still kick in several months later 
after the vaccine if you're exposed to the virus. If the you're rigor. exposed, okay. She must she must be a scientist. You know that's that's exactly right. Um, there are other elements of the immune system, and as I mentioned earlier, memory B and memory T cells, and they have been shown. There, there have been studies that looked at the T cells in lymph nodes and the B cells. Uh, in germinal centers, and they are very highly active and very prepared to deal with a, a, a sort of a rechallenge of the virus, which is why I think that the even though the ability to get it, you know, mild infection wanes, but this ability to prevent you from getting very seriously or hospitalized sustained, even with Pfizer, despite the waning uh, immunoglobulin levels, because you have memory cells ready to go. So yeah, you might get a mild infection, but your your body is already prepared to respond quickly. That's what memory cells do. You know, you you you've had flu before. You're ready. You respond again. You know, that's the whole point. Is you have this whole memory system that is prepared very quickly to respond. It doesn't prevent you from getting infected, but it prevents it from spreading. And so yes, I I think that's one of the unknowns. We're using this waning immunoglobulin uh, levels to to assume that we need. And then there has been an increase, as, as I pointed out with that Kaiser Permanente study. It looks like mild infections have gone from prevention of mild infections went from 83% down to about 45% over six months with Pfizer, which then you say, okay, well, if they're getting mildly infected, we probably do need a booster. But there are other parts of the immune system that are totally ready to deal with this. And, and I think that's why you have this consistent prevention of serious disease. Okay, and uh, Paradise Thinker says, what are your thoughts on Sweden's approach? They're reporting better results than what we predicted, especially so, due to their... So it's interesting you bring that up because Sweden decided we, what we will do is we'll just protect the vulnerable, let everybody do whatever they want. The prime minister of Sweden, and they're actually the health uh, director of Sweden, declared that a total failure. Prime minister of Sweden is not running for re-election. Uh, and I think a lot of it has to do with their mismanagement. They did not do well. They had a lot of infection. And so the concept that somehow you can really isolate people from the population did not work out. And so they, I, I would say the a Swedish approach, which is really let everybody, we'll, we'll let everybody behave like they're normally, there's no issue and we'll just keep old people aside, did not work. Dr. Klopman, we're running out of time and I really yes. want to get on a topic that is also something that is spreading all over. The ivermectin, hydrochloroquine, you know, online, people are Googling and they're saying, oh, there's an area in India that eradicated COVID more or less by using these drugs. You hear other people in the United States and around the world saying this, they swear by it. Let's have a conversation on that. Well, yeah, so in a brief period of time, so there hasn't been a lot of studies. Uh, hydroxychloroquine has been stu studied and shown to be of no value. So there's no reason to do that. That's been proven. It was, again, I don't know why people make up solutions when we have one. You know, we have a vaccine that works. Why would you make up something? Ivermectin, there is absolutely no biologic or pharmacologic reason why it would work. There's no evidence that it works. There's been no study that shows it work works. CDC now has had several ivermectin poisoning. You know, I have no idea why people jump to this. But yes, there are the same sort of misinformation. And some physicians have been propagating this, but there is no evidence. And, and again, why would you do something for which there is no evidence? When people are so reluctant, say like, I don't want to get something in my body. Well, you're taking a, a pill that's good for parasites infections that we give to animals. So 
what, what would, why would you think that's okay when we have a vaccine that's very safe and, and, and effective? So there's no reason to be using ivermectin. It, now, maybe if a study comes out and there are a couple studies going on that shows that ivermectin's a benefit, different story, but there's no data right now that would suggest that it's useful. And there's no reason why it would be. There's, you know, if you look at the biology of what it does, how it, it does, it's not an antiviral. So I don't know why it would. There's now a new antiviral coming out. Merck just announced that. Uh, it, it's, it may be really important. It's uh, probably better than uh, remdesivir. It, it, it's not as good as the monoclonals, but they, it's a, it's a, it's, it inhibits the viral replication and it cuts hospitalizations by half. In parts of the country, uh, the world that are, are not able to get vaccinated, it's a, it's a four, four or five day pill regimen. I think that is going to be effective. If we do anything, you should take that pill once it's approved, not ivermectin, because there's a study that shows that it works. All right. Anyway, it's been a pleasure being with you. Yes, we've got two more final questions. Um, okay. Ava um, says, please explain why so many vaccinated Brits are being infected and dying from the Delta 1 and Delta 2 variants during the last six weeks. So, it's a, so as I said, they, they have... Uh, really, they, have, they have stopped their public health measures. There's a lot more exposure. Uh, AstraZeneca, not the most effective vaccine. Uh, Pfizer wanes. There's not been a lot of deaths. That's not that's incorrect. There've been more infections for sure, uh, and that's because the vaccines aren't a hundred percent. You know, and and they need to get to ninety percent of their population vaccinated, and they should be using public health measures until they do. So they're exposing. You know if if there's a if if you have you know a hundred people and they're all vaccinated, you know and and they're exposed to, to a person who's infected, you're not going to have a lot of, of spread. If you take a hundred people who are vaccinated and you you, you throw them against a bunch a hundred people who are infected, well, every single one of those vaccinated people who is not completely protected, you know, we all, we know there's only eighty percent uh, protection or eighty five percent. Well, twenty. 25 of those people are going to get infected. So, you know, you've got to get the viral uh, burden in the community lower through public uh, health measures so that even the people who have been vaccinated but are still a little bit susceptible, even they are protected. If you just let everyone run around, you're going to, you're going to get find every single susceptible individual, including the few that are vaccinated and susceptible. But there have not been a, a huge number of deaths in vaccinated people in the UK. It's up mm -hmm. a little bit, not much. All right, um, Lance, uh, that question was actually answered earlier. He was asking about people who are reluctant to take it because they think the vaccine was quickly created. Um, you addressed that earlier, that that's just not factually correct. Um, Rachel has a good question. Some people are eager to try non-mRNA vaccines such as Sinopharm. Are they as effective? Or what would you say, if anything, about those? Well, yeah, so there's a bunch of other vaccines that have been developed in China and Russia that are killed vaccines or ad, it killed uh, virus. Uh, and then there's some that are uh, proteins. They're not as effective as the mRNA vaccines. They just, they're, they're much lower, more like 65% um, uh, effective. So I personally would recommend an mRNA vaccine. But that's what I took. I mean, I, I would get an mRNA vaccine if available. Right. Okay. All right. Well, Dr. Klotman, thank you so much um, for your time this evening. Any final words of wisdom for the people of the Cayman Islands? Uh, yeah, two things. One is you have a chance to do something the United Kingdom isn't doing. Do it better. 
do way better than the United Kingdom. Get yourselves 90%, 95% vaccinated. Keep your public health measures and, and make them all look bad. You know? Yeah. Okay. And I'll come visit y'all. <laughs> Sounds good. So much. Thank you so much. We appreciate it. Great to be with you. Thank you. All right. And Carol says debts are actually falling in the UK. So again, um, folks, you got to you gotta make sure that you're uh, getting the accurate information. And I guess that you're... Um, interpreting it correctly as well. Um, Sandra, you know, we, yes. we, we touched on the whole um, hydrochloroquine and ivermectin. Um, we're going to continue that discussion. So for those <laughs> who are watching, um, you know, this conversation is still going to continue. We have another virologist as well as Dr. Tomlinson. They're going to be on on Tuesday's show. You don't want to yes. miss that show. We're going to have some open discussions there with um, you know, on these topics as well and continue the same, the same type of topics. And again, if you want to have your questions answered, complete, just come on um, and submit your questions to us or when you're live, type it on in the chat and we will certainly get your, your questions answered by, by the experts who are going to be presenting. Yeah. And just earlier today, the UK made the decision to pretty much remove most destinations from its red list, um, including places like, um, Afghanistan, Angola, Argentina, and so on. So apparently there's only seven countries remaining on the red list. You know, they were doing their AMBER system. It looks like they have by and large um, just, um, you know, throwing that to the wayside as well. They're just saying, hey, open the borders. This we're, we're, It's here to stay, undoubtedly. And we are going to um, live with it. So vaccinated travelers from Brazil, Hong Kong, India, Pakistan, South America, and Turkey will be treated the same as returning fully vaccinated UK residents, as long as they've not visited a red listed country in the past 10 days before arriving uh, in the UK. So, um, you know, they continue to do that. All right, folks. Um, thank you so much for joining in. Lance, it's good to see you. Thank you, Carol, Miss Rachel, Miss Ava. Um, Laura, thank you so much. Nona says we need to get to 90% to safely reopen, mandate vaccines, or we'll be like the other countries that tried to open, but were unsuccessful. So uh, people pushing for more than that, it would be amazing to get more than the 80% and maybe the mandate that is currently in place um, would, you know, go a long way to help that. What do you think about that, Kev? You know, absolutely. What I, what I want to really say is it, my family there in the Cayman Islands, we have an opportunity to be leaders of the nation. Cayman Islands already is doing an amazing job. But um, we absolutely are in position right now to actually be known as the island that's really kept COVID out, protected its people, its visitors. And it really depends on the 25 to 30% of people who are not yet vaccinated. Mm -hmm. If you have a loved one who is not yet vaccinated, please sit down, talk to them, share these shows with them. They're available all the time on Facebook, on YouTube. If they want to directly speak to an expert, please contact me and I will make sure to make it happen. I will reach out to the, the, the many different experts that I know to be able to talk to you one-on-one. -on -one. My passion is to just make sure that you're getting the information so you can make an informed decision. I'm not there to tell you or force you to do it. Ultimately, the decision is yours. But at the same time, I really want you to do this because I want you to be protected. I want our medical system in the Cayman Islands to be protected. 
And mm -hmm. I know by living here in Florida, how bad it got and how bad it still is. And there's so many other people out there that are living through it. I know that I have lost friends because they chose not to get vaccinated or they died before the vaccine happened or came about. I'm seeing this firsthand. There's so many people that are seeing it firsthand. I'm begging you to get vaccinated. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to make sure that I keep on bringing on different experts to make sure that you're getting the information that mm -hmm. I know is not really, it wasn't available before. It's now available. No excuses. So yes. that's, that's where I want to <clears throat> end tonight's um, comments. Yes. And I want to put this up from multiple source. The UK rec records 40,701 more COVID cases, um, highest number in a month. But again, the key thing here is that deaths, which lag behind infections, um, still appear to be decreasing. So this is, um, it marked the highest number of new corona infections since September the 6th. A further 122 people died within 28 days of testing positive. As of Thursday, bringing the UK's, uh, this was just posted nine hours ago, bringing the UK total to 137,417 that have died. Uh, but again, this is from the Office for National Statistics, show that um, there have been 160,824 registered deaths in the UK where COVID-19 was mentioned on the death certificate. Um, so again, they've got an increase in, um, you know, cases, but not the number of deaths is actually declining. So um, there you go. Um, I can send you guys this link if you'd like. Um, but again, the statistics office in the UK has said that, and that was just a few hours ago. All right, Kevin, um, thank you so much for, again, um, putting this series together. It's been really, really uh, wonderful. I know that you're chasing up a number of different stories. You also want people who, you know, say that they've had an adverse effect, um, you know, uh, from the vaccine. I'm all, about facts. I'm all about making sure that we're sharing information as well. I'm not trying to hide anything. So yes, I yeah. know that there's a lot of rumors going around with people saying that they um, experience adverse reactions or they know someone that experienced an adverse reaction. So I would like those individuals to please contact me. I want to know your story. You could be completely anonymous or you could, um, if you want to go public, we will make that happen. So mm -hmm. whatever your story is, I want to hear it. If you had an adverse reaction, I mm -hmm. want it from the horse's mouth. So if you know somebody that actually had it, not just hearsay, if you had an adverse reaction, contact me. If you know somebody that had it, tell them to contact me because I want to be in touch. Yep. All right. So thank you guys so much. Uh, Nayali says, great Q&A. Can't wait to see more. And folks, if you want to see more, two ways to do it. Uh, we This is episode number six. So there's five other shows that are really fantastic. You can go to the YouTube channel and obviously they're listed there. You can go to Facebook and click on the tab that says videos. And we actually have a separate, uh, we've organized it in a playlist for you, a separate section that says CMR COVID-19 um, spotlight. spotlight series. And you can view all the videos there as well. So what have we got coming up for next week, Kev? So yes, next week, like I said, we have a virologist, uh, Dr. Mm -hmm. Units. He's a USF professor. And um, again, he is a virologist. And we have Dr. Tomlinson coming on. Um, and we're going to have them have a conversation. Um, Dr. Thompson, again, just I just reconfirmed that he's going to be coming on. I let him know that he'll be on a virologist. And so we're going to have that discussion. Um, and then on next Thursday, 
We're going to have a discussion with um, looking at my notes to make sure I'm, I'm getting it right. Yes. Next Thursday, October the 14th, we're going to look at the evolution of COVID-19. And also Dr. Edwin Michael from USF will be um, doing some predictions for Cayman's impact. He's going to take some of the data that's out there and kind of do some if we achieve this level, this is what likely will happen. If we're here, this will likely happen. He's going to kind of look at some stuff. He's been one of our um, great resources here in Florida where we are able to predict some stuff. And to be honest, a lot of what he said, if we at this level, this is going to happen. A lot of that actually proven, proved to be true. Um, again, we don't get to, in Florida, make the decisions at my level. That's made at a different level. And some of the recommendations were not necessarily followed. And so we ended up going in a different direction. And so he's going to really share some of that information and what Cayman could expect. Um, then we also have coming up after that on the following Tuesday. It's not this coming Tuesday, the following one. Um, that one is going to be about the heart. It's called The Heart and COVID-19. We have uh, a Dr. Matt Martinez as well as Dr. Harry Lever from Cleveland Clinic. Ohio going to be coming on and uh, they're going to talk to especially those who might have cardiac issues and are, con are concerned um, that that show will be all dedicated to that and again we got a lot of other things um, in the works we're going to look at how the private sector healthcare system in Cayman is readying themselves and um, we're working through it a date to confirm and that's going to be in the very near future as well as well as we're going to be looking at how HSA is going to be um, prepared. Again, I'm waiting for that date to be confirmed. I promise I should have that any day now. So as soon as we have that confirmed, I'll definitely share that um, with everyone. And then we have also coming up in a future show, dating and relationships during COVID and dealing with the stresses that comes along with COVID. Um, we, we have a therapist that's going to be coming on talking with us. So we have a lot of really great topics coming up. I mean, we're going to be doing this at least for the next month or so um, until, until we can't find more topics. Um, but we want to hear from you as well. Um, if you have any suggested topics, and, and then I will start working on it. Um, again, we, we just want to keep everyone as informed as possible. Thank you so much, Kev. Uh, final question from Ava says, why is the European Union Council hoping to gradually phase out vaccination, implement five strategies. I don't know what that means. And just a quick search does not even bring up anything um, called the European Union Council, but you do have the European Commission, which has just secured um, up to 4.6 billion doses of COVID-19. Uh, so far in negoti negotiations were underway for even more. Um, as of September the 15th, an article shared um, said that the EU was trying to prioritize global vaccination and they were doing a drive, um, you know, to try to get uh, millions of people vaccinated. So again, I don't really know um, where this is coming from, but, um, you know, making sure that you're getting accurate information is, is really quite critical. And, you know, what I find a lot of times, Kevin, happens is that there are these names that sound close to legitimate names, mm -hmm. um, you know, and it's not the case at all. The European Union has stood behind and continues to stand behind um, vaccinations. So sure you might want to revisit where that source is coming from. Absolutely. All right, folks, um, that's all we've got for you. Um, you know, stay tuned. Uh, <laughs> Carol says fake news. That's where. So a lot um, of fake <laughs> news out there. Way yeah. too much. So really, really <laughs> be careful where you're getting your information from. Yeah, it's it's amazing. Um, but, you know, these people have, you know, you go to their legitimate websites 
and you're able to um, see exactly what is what and uh, what's what's happening. So thanks, Kev. Uh, we will see you definitely on Tuesday evening, if not before. Let's replay that video, folks, that we played at the beginning of the program in case you missed it and continue to share the um, CMR COVID-19 Spotlight Series with your friends and family members because, you know, this is really all about um, educating people. They say knowledge is power. And when it comes to public health, and especially in the middle of a pandemic, that there's nothing more true than that statement, that knowledge is really power. So you guys have a wonderful evening. Kevin, I'll see you later. Good night. Going through a major surge, and this surge is something that, something that is much bigger than what we have ever seen before. We are seeing a lot of patients with COVID who are extremely sick, and they're getting sick very quickly and very rapidly. These are young, otherwise healthy patients. To give an example, we have several patients in their 20s who, are, who never had any medical problems and have never seen a doctor are now in the intensive care unit, on ventilator, being paralyzed, and we are still struggling to keep their oxygen levels up. So, so this, this, is, this is significant. We are seeing it every day, and we are seeing young people dying. One thing I will tell you is most patients that we are seeing in the hospital have not had their vaccine and, and none, I will tell you, in the intensive care unit have had their vaccine. So um, we, just, just based on that fact, it's clear, it's obvious that the vaccines are working. People who have vaccines are not getting hospitalized and they are even, even if they're getting COVID, they are getting COVID at a much milder, the, the form of illness is much mild and they are able to stay out of the hospital and stay at home. Get vaccinated. I, that's, that's just short two words. Vaccines work. Vaccines will prevent you from getting hospitalized. Do it for yourself. Do it for your family. Do it for your loved ones. You own it to them. Please get vaccinated.